There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by ACAST. Welcome to the podcast. I'm going to share something with you. It's an auspicious day. It is the last day of the Donald Trump presidency. You! John, I know this has been something that has been on your mind for the yeah, last but, four know, years. I, I, I've loved it because po- American politics has turned into the best entertainment source. But that's that, the problem. Yeah, that is great. the problem. American politics and economics has turned yeah. into ent- entertainment. I tell you, I'm wrecked. I did a gig last night. And I say last night. Yeah. Okay, in Canada. And I, I didn't read the actual contract when I signed the gig. <laughs> right. And I thought, okay, yeah, kind of, that'll be fine. A- and it was like, it was to like a thousand people through Zoom, which is actually hard. It's very hard to do. And it was an evening gig in Vancouver. So I was sitting here at 3 a.m. Oh, really? Last night, <laughs> talking. So I'm ruined. <laughs> I'm wrecked about the global economy, China and Asia. Yeah, because you're an early bird, really. I'm a, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I always wake up early and I go yeah. to bed quite, quite early. So I was full of Red Bull. <laughs> full of Red Bull. I haven't had Red Bull for years. I'm full of Red Bull. And at the end... And then, vodka. <laughs> no, no, honest, Sweeney Todd. And at the end, then I had to come down off the Red Bull to go to sleep. Yeah. So, you know the Glenlock whiskey we got? Yeah. Drank about half a bottle of it. So I'm wrecked. I just... To try and actually... Jesus, Mike. So I'm in, I'm in a terrible heat. So you're but a bit jittery today. I'm very jittery today. But apart from that, I'm great. You know, and, you know. But next time, read the small print on the gig. But it was quite interesting because it actually got me thinking about China. Because Vancouver is obviously a Canadian city, but the, by far and away the biggest ethnic minority there are Chinese. Right, yeah. And the entire Vancouver property market and the entire Vancouver economy is run by Chinese, which stands to reason because Vancouver, when we were younger, Vancouver was obviously British Columbia. Yeah. And Vancouver was a very British city about 40 years ago. Very, very British. Oh, right, yeah. In fact, there was a Vancouver, I think Victoria Island of Vancouver, which was yeah, always, never like, been there. I don't always know like a British retirement home, right? Mm. And it's just funny how the world has changed. It's now completely Asian. So, yeah, I was, what was interesting to me was I was reading about Jack Ma. Do you know that? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. The, eight, the Alibaba, right? Yeah. The tech entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, so he's like the, the Chinese equivalent of Mark Zuckerberg, right? Right, yeah. He's disappeared. 
How do you mean he criticized the Chinese Communist Party and he called the Chinese banking system, which is largely owned by the public sector, yeah, the course. Chinese Communist yeah. Party, he criticized them quite modestly at a speech in Shanghai on Halloween, so the 31st of October. Mm. He hasn't been seen since. He mm. hasn't been seen in public since. Do you think, do you, are you suspecting foul play? Or well, what you... I'm suspecting, what I'm thinking is that China has completely changed. So 30 years ago, Deng Xiaoping made this extraordinary speech about capitalism and China and how they're going to change the world. And he said really delphically and opaquely, he said, I don't care whether the cat is black or white as long as it catches mice. And this is what he started his speech right. with. And this was an indication, I don't care if it's capitalist or communist as long as it makes the economy grow. So he was basically saying, it's a Chinese expression, right? right. Yeah, that yeah. a good cat catches mice, it doesn't matter if he's black yeah, yeah. or white. Right? Gets the job done. Gets the job done. Yeah. And Deng Xiaoping said in the 80s, the way we're going to expand the society is I'm not really that fussed about whether it's ideologically pure as long as the economy grows. Mm. Now we're in a situation where by the end of this decade, there will be more middle-class Chinese people than middle-class Americans, right? So yeah, the job is done. It is yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. The job is done. But now, one of the things we know after COVID, John, is that China has emerged much stronger than yeah. anybody else. Yeah. Much, much stronger. It was all planned. <laughs> it's your QAnon thing. We're going to be talking about that later on. But what is, what is fascinating is the way in which a strengthening China has led to a more autocratic China. The present dear leader, Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping, right? He's saying, you know, in Hong Kong, we're coming after you. They're much more muscular around the place. Yeah. Internal opposition. I don't care if you're Jack Ma, the richest man in China. I'm going to get you. Well, there's so something more to protect now and, and to hold on to. Yeah, and no, it's fascinating. And of course, when you're talking to people in Vancouver, the Canadians and people in San Francisco, but particularly in Vancouver, are, mm. are very interested in this because obviously Canada, investments in Canada and America by Chinese people is a kind of an insurance. It's, yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. an insurance policy. What happens if the autocratic government actually comes and takes yeah. my resources. So they get them abroad. So that was interesting. You know, when you when you talk to people in different sides of the world, you read different things. And so that was what I was doing this week. But but the thing about, just to bring back to Jack Ma, you know, the thing about Jack Ma is he, he was crucial in growing the economy. Completely. Completely. So, see, I, I wonder, has he gone to ground himself? Maybe, but it's just, it's just, you go to ground because you're scared. Yeah. That's the interesting thing. Yeah. That, you know, criticism of the regime. And we're going to be talking about this with Bill Black in a few minutes. Yeah, great. Because it's, yeah. it's the last day of the Trump presidency. Right? Ring the last bit out Yeah, of we're going to squeeze the last <laughs> bit out of Donald. I was contemplating all these things as I was up okay. drinking my Red Bull at 3am this morning before I was discussing with my Canadian... Twitching away. Twitching away. Canadian clients. But another thing was striking me as well is the way in which financial markets are operating, right? So you've seen the huge rise in Bitcoin. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bitcoin has been driven, and lots of finance has been driven by now retail investors, right? So normally it's the big, big, you know, Merrill Lynch and Goldman Sachs, mm. the hedge funds and the investment funds and the pension funds. But because everyone's stuck at home, the single fastest growing platform for trading is a platform called Robinhood in the States. Yeah, yeah. And it's all day traders. It's people trading during the day. Just right? individuals, because just with a few bored. quid here yeah, and there. Yeah, and they're, they're at home. They're like, oh, fuck it, I'll do that. 
And that, I believe, is behind a lot of the frothiness of lots of these stocks. Tesla, Bitcoin, these sort of favorites. It's not the only thing, mm. but it strikes me we're seeing something very similar to the dot-com boom in 2000, right? And I remember being in Florida, working in Florida Keys in 1999, yeah. doing a couple of gigs. And nice. it was, was nice. It, well, it was nice, but it's the only place I've ever seen a chain gang. It was quite terrifying. Oh, right. I uh, flew into Miami with having, the only time I'd ever been in Florida before was Ireland against Holland in the World <laughs> Cup, 94 in Orlando, yeah. Church Street, Orlando, the biggest piss up I've ever been at. In the, in the, it was a hundred degrees. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember Stephen Staunton looking like that man shouldn't be out in the sun and I shouldn't have been out in the sun either. No, so I'd never, I, but I, so I'd never been to Florida. So, you know, after that and mm. arrived in Miami and the gig was in Isla Morelda, one of these places down in the Keys. So I kind of thought, well, that'd be about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah. It's about a three-hour drive down the Keys. Yeah. Because I, I, I had no idea. Geography was never Geography your, never, your so, strong point. But it's an amazing, you're going through the Everglades, and it is a beautiful, weird, unusual part of the world. Mm. So I'm driving, I rented a car, driving, kind of in my own little world, listening to, I quite like listening to local radio, seeing like what's yeah. going on in these things, the ads for things. They've got both kinds of music, country yeah, and western. Country and western, yeah. But it's also Florida was, I thought was really funny. Somebody said to me, it's the only state in America that, that the more northern you go, the more southern it gets, which is a really good idea. <laughs> right. Because southern Florida is liberal and Cuban. Yeah. Northern Florida is still the south. It's still the Confederacy. So Florida's the weird state is the is the more northern you go, the more southern it gets. Right. right? Yeah, that's good. So and I was I was and, and and this is important because I was driving when it was evening time and the sun was going down and and the Everglades are unusual and weird sort of topology because it's obviously completely flat. And then I saw a whole bunch of guys on the middle of the motorway. And I was thinking, what's this? It's about a mile ahead. And I was trying to make out what it was. In the orange suits? In orange jumpsuits. It was a chain gang cutting wow. the grass on the verge in the middle. And there were all black guys in orange suits cutting the grass in chains. And there were five or six white cops with guns patrolling the side of it. And it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And it really... But that's it really it's not illegal. I no, mean, it's legal. That happens in America. Yeah, yeah. No, I know it's it's legal in America, we're, but it is essentially slave labour. Yeah. And we're going to talk to Bill Black in a second about America, but it struck me. I remember thinking to myself, I don't know this country at all. And I remember I got to the place where I was doing the gig. Yeah. And of course, everybody there was kind of from New York or Philadelphia or whatever. They were... There was, it was a kind of like a conference thing. So they were yeah, travelling yeah. down there. But I remember coming back and saying... I don't understand this country. I've seen a chain gang in this era yeah. is really, really shocking. And I suppose that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, let's do it. So we're going to go to Bill Black, you know, Professor Bill Black, who's written the book with the best ever title, which is The Easiest Way to Rob a Bank is to Own It. <laughs> because he was the guy who put the case together against the savings and loans yes, yeah, banking yeah. scandal in America in the late 80s, early 90s, when he was the federal prosecutor. Yeah, and rounded them all up. And rounded them all up and put them in prison. Yeah, yeah. Criminologist, economist, lawyer, the whole thing, professor at the University of Missouri in Kansas City, which is a hotbed of MMT. This is where Stephanie Kelton learned uh -huh. stuff. Right. So a very interesting economics department. Let's go and talk to Bill. Bill, how are you and Happy New Year? 
Happy New Year. I'm well, thank you. Great stuff. Listen, let's get straight into it. The impeachment of Donald Trump. What is the story? What's going on? With your legal hat on first. Uh, I'll actually use my legal hat and my criminology hat (laughs) simultaneously on this. So one, uh, you may have noted that we had this little insurrection thing with thousands of armed people going to our U.S. Capitol and trying to murder the vice president of the United States of America and as many members of Congress as they could find. This, as you might expect, pissed off the Democrats rather considerably, not to mention the vice president. Uh, And so they um, have gotten together and they have impeached um, President Trump, which means he's the answer to a trick question. Um, He represents all by himself half of all presidential impeachments in U.S. history. Uh, that is one point. one for a pub quiz next year. Exactly. Right. But the second thing, and this is, you really have to have a feel for America to get this one. I want to introduce your listeners and viewers to the My Pillow guy, as he's known in America. The who? The, yeah. the My yeah. Pillow guy. Because <laughs> the My Pillow guy is a multimillionaire who, by his own description, spent uh, the first 40 years of his life uh, deep in a bottle, plus being a crack cocaine addict, right? Okay. Um, I'm lost. I'm lost. Who is this dude? This this dude sells pillows, and he sells pillows fraudulently. (laughs) And he has been successfully sued by the state of Minnesota. He's from Minnesota, which is where I'm talking from. Right. And we have the Better Business Bureau that gives ratings and they gave him an F rating, which is a failure, the worst possible rating uh, type of thing. This is a totally bonkers, crazy person. Right. Who believe who states that God appointed Donald Trump to run America. So why are we talking about my pillow guy? Why are I'm, we I'm talking like, about him? Because he has very recently gone into the White House and he is so stupid that he actually carried his notes facing outwards. So a photographer took a picture of the notes and we know what he was going in to say therefore, which is that the president should invoke the Insurrection Act. Now note, he inspired the insurrection that almost murdered his vice president. But we should use this as the pretext for citing a federal statute, the Insurrection Act, that would allow the president, Trump, to stay in power and keep President Biden from assuming power. And that if President Biden protested this, if the notes say, then President Trump should invoke martial law. Okay, now hold on. Let, 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 okay, I understand that a crazy turned up at the White House called the Pillow Guy from, no, no, from no, your no. conversation. He was into the White House. So what is his significance? What? Who is this person? And why are we talking about him? Other than the he fact that he turned up at the White House. One of President Trump's leading supporters 
He is one of the most principal sources of income to Fox News, the Murdoch enterprise. He is what's left as the president's <laughs> considerable advisor. Okay, so even okay, after, okay, but, okay. but here is the, you know, the, the joke about chutzpah yeah. and somebody goes, well, what does that mean? And, you, and they tell the story, you know, you kill your mother and your father and then you ask the judge for mercy on the grounds that you're an orphan, right? That's the definition. <laughs> okay, <fair> so, <laughs> This is the new definition of chutzpah okay. because he's asking the president to invoke the act to stop the insurrection that the president caused. I love it. I love it. Okay. okay. <laughs> so that's going on. This other thing that's going on is that eventually this, these insane people will actually leave on the 20th. They will cease being the president. And at that juncture or within a couple of days, the two new U.S. senators, both Democrats that were elected recently that swung the Senate, will actually be certified. There's yet another certification to be done, right? And the certification at the federal level was the pretext uh, for this insurrection attack on the Capitol to stop that vote. But this one will occur in Georgia, and it will actually be pro forma, and they'll do it. Then there'll be 50 Democratic senators and 50 Republican senators, and Mitch McConnell will no longer be, he's a Republican, the majority leader of the Senate. And that means that they can now prosecute the case in the Senate. So the impeachment is done in the House, and it, it's done on a bare majority vote though the Democrats picked up 10 Republican members of the House. We have 425 members of our House. We have 100 members of our Senate. In okay, the Senate, I'm following you now. Okay, now I'm following you. In the okay. Senate, you have to get two-thirds of the senators present to get a conviction, right? So it, it's as if the House was sort of an indictment process. Uh, here are the charges, and there's enough basis that we're going to send it forward to the Senate for the actual trial. That trial has not been scheduled yet because Mitch McConnell is still Senate Majority Leader. Okay, so then a process happens. Now, the impeachment of Trump, give me your criminologist's hat. What is a, the crime is insurrection? It doesn't have to be a crime to impeach someone. There is really good history on what the framers intended, which is much broader than crimes. So they don't have to meet the standard of beyond a reasonable doubt, and it doesn't have to hit statutory prerequisites. What they've said is that you basically instigated and gave aid and comfort to a murderous insurrection that at this juncture has killed five people right? Others may lose their eyes and, and such. There, there are many serious injuries. One of the police officers just been disclosed. They tasered him so many times he had a heart attack. Wow. Uh, the people attacking him. And what happens in an impeachment? Now, let's say the trial goes ahead. Tell me, what's, what's, what's going to go on? And, and, and what's the consequence of it for Trump as an individual, but for America as a society? 
Okay, so there have been three prior impeachments of presidents. And the, that may seem like a trick as well. And the trick is that Nixon was not actually impeached. Nixon, the investigative committee, created this incredibly damning case. And at that juncture, a very different age, some wise men Republicans went to Nixon from the Senate primarily and said, you're dead. We're going to yeah. you know, vote you out. It's 100% certain that the Democrats will impeach you. You'll just be embarrassed. Off you go. You should leave now, and he did. So the only other impeachments are back in the Civil War and Bill Clinton, of course. And neither of those resulted in conviction. So, which is to say, the presidents who have been impeached are three and O in terms of winning in the Senate. And the hugely strong bet uh, is that there soon be four and O. Okay, uh, so he won't be. He won't be impeached. Will fail in the Senate as well. Oh, okay. So it'll fail in the Senate. But what does it mean for American society for Donald Trump to exit this way, given the extraordinary divisions, given his totemic, bizarre for Europeans, but, you know, totemic position as the leader of a movement in the United States. So the really interesting things are in terms of the dynamics of the Republican Party. And that's really the the wild card here. So, So the Constitution doesn't actually say that you need a identified public vote. And the reason I emphasize that is pretty much everybody believes that if it were a secret ballot, Trump would lose at least half the senators and he would be convicted in the Senate. I hear you. But because it isn't likely to be that, because the you know the Democrats are not going to have the guts to go to <laughs> that kind of a ballot. Um, they will probably do roughly what they did in, in the Senate that they did in the House, which is, you know, you knock off may, maybe five senators um, would be great for them. By, by the way, with 10 Republicans supporting this impeachment, that is the most bipartisan impeachment of a president in U.S. history. Wow. What you are saying to me, Bill, is that in the Senate... Republican senators will not vote against Trump because they have to go back to a base. Is this the issue at some stage in the future? That is the issue. But as I said, the key thing that's going on is the question, what is God's name is going to happen to the Republican Party? What do you think? So there are there's a most people think there's a majority of the Republican senators which is to say over 25, who would greatly prefer uh, Trump to be found guilty so that they could get back the party. Okay, right? I, I'm with you. Okay. But in, in to use our econ hats, there's a collective action problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> right? um, and nobody wants to walk the plank um, and they know that Trump a is totally vindictive, and B, his base loves him for that. Yeah, right? absolutely. That is that and, is the characteristic they most seem to identify with, or one of his characteristics. Tell me about no, the- it is it is the characteristic that they seem to absolutely love. 
and he will spend the rest of his life trying to destroy anyone who votes to uh, convict uh, in the Senate. And therefore, the smart money is uh, right now that only four or five folks will be brave enough to do it. But here's the second kicker. Dozens of House Republicans are telling their Democratic counterparts that they will, did not vote to impeach because they are afraid not of Trump's vindictiveness, but that their families will be killed by Trump supporters. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Look, okay, so let's explore this a bit before before we, we finish up, Bill. The extraordinary anger, violence, vindictiveness of this base, and what happens to them in politics in the future in America? Well, that's what I say. That's the real question is the heart of the Republican Party, whether it's going to become the Trump Party for the next 20 plus years or whether it's going to be shattered um, and, you know, sort of the real Republicans will reassert control. Non-Americans have an incredibly difficult time understanding how armed the American people are. Yes. It is very common to have weapons and the weapons, the, the, the single most common weapon for a long gun, for first, they are many of our long guns. They're not for hunting. Um, they are AR-15s, which is the civilian version of the American assault rifle. Jesus. Right? They have magazines of 30 rounds of 5.56 ammunition. Uh, they go downrange at uh, roughly twice the speed of sound. And if they're small, but they are so fast that if they hit a major bone, they can kill you simply from the shock. You can pump out these rounds even with a semi-automatic as fast as you can click, and it's a remarkably accurate weapon. Do you uh, have uh, one, Bill? Sounds you seem like to, you have you one. See, you seem to know I, a lot about these things. Well, in America, if you're a criminologist, you have to. Precisely, this yeah, of course. is an, an enormous part of our life. And these people are considerably better armed than any terrorist force in the rest of the world, right? Al-Qaeda and folks like that. They're, yeah, they're not, not a patch on these guys. And many of them are ex-U.S. military. Bill, can I just ask you, how close, realistically, how close do you think the U.S. is now to like an armed conflict, like a civil war? Well, it's not close to a civil war, but that's exactly what uh, the Boogaloo boys, that's what they want. That is their ideology. That is what they're planning for. They are an example of these paramilitaries, and they have killed police in the past. Notice this. These are folks who took a thin blue line. That means our cops. It means we're super supporters. They were using those banners, which are on what is in essence a spear, right? A wooden spear to stab cops right, at okay. the Capitol. <laughs> but so, so you know, if you, were a, if you were a Democratic president, you're watching all this, 
you're very, very well aware and your police force are very well aware of what they're faced with. At what stage does the American state or does it move to kind of disarm? I mean, the idea, you know, of having we in Ireland in the 1970s and 80s had a paramilitary force going around here that thought they were the army of the country, the provisional IRA. And the role of the state was to disarm this group. That's There was a constant battle with the, the army and the guards against the IRA on this island, okay? Both south and in the north, obviously. Because that's what the state does. The state has to, at some stage, flex its own muscles and say, we're in control of the country, of the streets. And, as you said, we're in control of the armaments of the country. Yes, and the Brits have one of the premier special forces units of the world that we modeled many of ours on. And if I recall, in a certain island off Spain, uh, they deliberately made, you know, quite clear that uh, they were going to kill, not capture. Absolutely. That was the uh, shoot to kill people. on the Gibraltar rock, yeah. That is right. So the the real risk is not a civil war. It's that literally dozens of Republican congressmen, you, you would think that if you viewed these people as this dangerous, you would say, we have to impeach. But if it's your kids and your spouse that you believe you're putting at risk, and remember, these folks know how crazy these people are. You have to understand how insane. This is why I started with the pill, my pillow guy. The president of the United States takes advice from the my pillow crackhead. <laughs> right? That is his lead supporter that is left. He's someone who said you should move a particular guy to the CIA so you can use them as part of this coup wow. effort, okay, right? He put this in writing and was stupid enough <laughs> to hold the notes where a photographer could take a picture and you could actually read. Jesus, John, we have to get him on the podcast. <laughs> we need to find this we guy. We need to find this guy. <laughs> Got to get him on. But, but, but Bill, Bill, let's, let's, let's just what, conclude. No, no. There, we have members of the House of Representatives who are QAnon. Yeah. They literally believe that people like me eat babies, that first we sexually molest them, and then we cook them and eat them, <laughs> right? That, that is their literal belief, and their further literal belief is that President Trump has a secret plan to gather us all together and kill every one of us. Who said America's on the decline? <laughs> and those members went in one office with campaign ads that showed them holding one of these AR-15s and with the target of three members of Congress, all of whom are women of color. <laughs> and so those Congresswomen have to be in the chambers with these people that literally want to murder them. But Bill, at, at the end of the day, are, are these guys not just the, the very, very yeah. tiny minority loon fringe compared to... Compared to the average Republican, yeah. compared to the average Democrat, the average Republican, the party of Lincoln, the establishment party of the United States, you know... Now let me introduce to you American politics in safe districts. 
A safe district is where one party is clearly going to win. That doesn't mean your primary is safe. And so, a la economics, there's a Gresham's dynamic. Okay. In which the, the, good, the good bashing folks, the bad. Yeah. The, the worst drive out the good. Yeah. You have to be the craziest of the crazy. That's how somebody who is literally insane gets elected from these safe districts. So if they, to win the primary, you have to be crazier than the other person because they're low turnout things where it really matters, you know, if you have super motivated. Sure, no, yeah, that's so, that was- And once you win the primary, you're certain to win the general against the Democrats. Oh, because the seat is safe, yeah, okay. So it, it isn't just a tiny group. And the best guesstimate of how many AR-15s are out there in America is around 8 million. Holy moly. Wow. That doesn't mean they're 8 million crazies. But there's 8 million guns. But if you haven't spent substantial time in America, you cannot understand how incredibly different it is than any other sort of, quote unquote, first world nation. Bill, before we go, I've known you for a long time and you've been a criminologist and you're a professor. You are not somebody that I would regard as dealing in the conspiracy, dealing in the amateur dramatics, the theatrics. At the moment, there is a big discussion on the internet, free speech, social media, you know, what is true, what is not true, fake news, etc. Again, we see American news, but we clearly don't digest it on a daily basis. To what extent is this the long-term political consequence of crazy media? It's, it's very large. You, you cannot talk to anyone in America with an extended family that does not have a family member or a close friend who has one of these relatives. Now, again, we have three QAnon-type members. We have 425 House members. So it's a it's tiny minority. Only, it's a tiny minority, but it's the first year it's ever happened. And if you allow it, it's not that everyone will be it, but that they, you know, there'll be eight or nine or 10. And, you know, just as a small thing. Finally, what happens to Trump, the individual? Well, he's going to get sued left, right, uh, and center. Uh, by the way, speaking of guns, the National Rifle Association has just declared bankruptcy because New York caught them in immense corruption. And so the bankruptcy is designed to escape <laughs> the actual bankruptcy. monetary sanctions in New York. And so the NRA is filing in Texas and asking Texas courts to declare New York courts so corrupt that they can't be trusted. This being an organization that just announced that its leadership for the last 20 years has been ripping off the NRA. Ripping off the membership. The membership. Right, okay. Well, then... For my cold, dead hands. Yeah, exactly. But tell me about Trump, the individual. So you, he's going to get sued by... He's going to get sued in by enormous numbers of folks. For what? Right? Um, he's going to get sued for tax fraud in New York. Okay. He's going to get uh, sued for charity fraud uh, in New York. It, almost certainly when they get the taxes, he'll have committed uh, federal and state 
um, tax fraud. Um, Deutsche Bank is cutting him off. Uh, that was the last major bank he had. He has very extensive debt and he's committed loan fraud, according to the New York Times, as you know, documented how he would overstate assets when he was seeking loans and massively sure. understate assets for tax purposes. Well, that doesn't work really well when you've got both sets and they will soon have uh, all of those sets, right? Once he's out of office, he will lose all kinds of protections. And uh, so- But Bill, what, what about the him pardoning himself? So there's no precedent for it. So we don't know for sure. Uh, most legal scholars who specialize in it think it would be invalid. But of course, he appointed much of the Supreme Court. That doesn't mean he automatically wins as we've just seen, but it certainly ups the chances. However, pardons don't operate against state crimes. Okay. Ah, and okay. he has committed innumerable state crimes. Remember, this is a, a guy that's been a grifter his entire life. He cheated on his university. He cheated on his charities. He, the charity, supposed charities he had, he stole from. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bill, listen. It's very early in the morning in Minnesota. I'm going to let you go grab your coffee. But as always, a complete pleasure. Likewise. Take care, everyone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Do you know what you were saying just before we went to Bill there? You are saying you don't really know America. Well, I certainly don't know that America that well, he's talking about. Well, that's what I was going to say. I don't recognize that America that Bill is, is talking about. The most disturbing thing he said, you know, talking about the Republican politicians, that, you know, when things are important, 
they do the right thing. But when things get personal, they get scared because their families will be attacked. Well, I mean, it's, or it's killed. It, it is. It's extraordinary that he said that House Republicans are telling their House Democrat yeah. mates. Because you know the way politics is all theatre. These guys know each other. They get the plane to Washington together. Yeah. You know, and obviously during the election, there's, you know, it's like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael politicians here. They all know each other, right? Yeah. And they're actually confiding, you know, I'm afraid of voting in a certain way. I mean, that is really quite shocking. The other thing I thought we said was quite shocking was, do you remember we said in the past that typically the right seek converts, whereas the left... Yeah. Seek yeah. traitors, right? So the right wing will always basically come together and do something. Yeah. And the left will almost always have a scrap, yeah. right? Yeah. But what he's saying is the opposite, that the left will convert to Joe Biden tomorrow. And even if they are annoyed that he's not left enough, they're going to come together. Whereas the right now are seeking traitors. Like, you're not right wing enough. Yeah. And that changes the game completely. Well, it's, it's you know... It's the legacy of of Mr. Trump. Ah, but it's but there was Trump. There was Trump before Trump. You know. Yeah. No, you're right. But but what I mean is those divisions were always there, but Trump has really highlighted. He sliced the Republicans straight down the middle, and you know remains to be seen. But there will be the new party of Trump. Well, when I tell you a thing about the Republican Party now, because you know I'm doing a lot of work on the history of money, yes, right? Indeed. And I'm very interested in Alexander Hamilton. And I'm also oh, yeah. very interested. I've seen the, the, the musical. Yeah, the geezer. Yeah, he's a really fascinating person. Really, really. He's supposed to be a brilliant musical as well. He's a brilliant musical, <laughs> yeah. But he's a fascinating person. But this idea of the patriots in America, right? The idea that the federal government is in some way not legitimate. That you, as a patriot, have a right to stand up for your rights and assault the Capitol Hill, right? Yeah. It all comes from a rebellion, the first ever rebellion against the American government, George Washington's government. So after they became independent, they have the federal government. Yeah, the yeah. first rebellion against the federal government was in Pennsylvania in 1794. And do you know what it was over? What? Whiskey. It's called the Whiskey Rebellion. Because remember, I was right. drinking whiskey, I said to you this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was, I was, so I was contemplating <laughs> as I was drinking this morning, right? The Whiskey Rebellion. You're swilling around your glass. Swilling around, <laughs> talking about Chinese people in Vancouver. But I was, I, the Whiskey Rebellion, 1794. So think about the American Revolution is fought on the basis of no taxes. So the Boston Tea Party was all about, we are not going to pay taxes without representation in the British Parliament. So the colonists said, away with your British Parliament. We're not yeah. going to pay taxes for you unless you give representation. The Brits said, no way, you're nothing but a colony. Yeah. And the Americans said, okay, we're, we're going to revolt. So the Hamilton, Washington, Jefferson, all these guys fought a rebellion on the basis of no taxes. Yeah. Then they won it. And they thought, oh, fuck, we've no <laughs> money. Right? Okay, what have we got to do? So what they first did was they issued, they printed money called the Continentals, yeah. which is where... Not worth a continental. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't give a continental. Couldn't give a continental because they printed so much more money that it lost its value because they were all the time refusing to tax. And yeah. eventually Hamilton, who was a federalist, right? There was a federalist party. Yeah. Washington, Washington's party was the federalist party. Hamilton says, look, guys, we've got to raise money somehow. Yeah. And he says, what can we do? Why don't we start by having a whiskey tax? taxing whiskey, right? Because Americans used to have their own, every little small village had its own distillery. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they used to sell their whiskey, whatever. So they said, we're going to have a whiskey tax. 
And Washington was like, mm, not so sure about this. It's a bit like Ireland having yeah, a booze yeah. tax. You don't touch their booze, you yeah. know, right? Because Hamilton was this New York Federalist, amazing orator, the whole thing. Very, very brilliant guy. Ended up getting killed in a duel. A, a, a gun duel or a... A gun duel. He was the sword. first Treasury Secretary in America. He got killed in a duel by the Vice President. This is how crazy America wow. is, right? The Brilliant. Vice President. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you all about it maybe another time. But anyway, yeah. the taxi, the, the whiskey revolution, the whiskey rebellion, Pennsylvanian whiskey distillers say... We're not paying tax. Yeah, we're having right? none of that. We're having none of it. And then Washington said, Hamilton said, okay, well, we need to raise tax. So they kept sending these poor old tax collectors into rural Pennsylvania. Yeah. Now, Pennsylvania is the place that the rage and Cajun, you remember Clinton's guy? Yes. James yeah. Carville described yeah. Pennsylvania as Pittsburgh and Philadelphia yeah. with Alabama in the middle, <laughs> yeah. right? So basically they're going into yeah. Alabama <laughs> These fellas get tarred and feathered by the patriots, by the yeah. whiskey-making patriots, right? So Hamilton says, we've got to go and occupy these places because the Federation has no legitimacy unless we can send out the National Guard. Yeah, well, that's Remember, fair enough. Yeah. Bill was talking about the National Guard, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, the very first time they sent the National Guard in, they sent them in. There was a siege of Pittsburgh in July 1794 that the Whiskey Rebellion were the patriots, the fellows who believe themselves patriots now. Yeah. And Washington, for the first time ever, sent in the troops and quelled the rebellion, right? Right. But, but, and this is an interesting thing, Hamilton and Washington. Yeah. You know this idea, the Hamiltonian moment? So Hamilton brought the states together as a federation. Yeah. Created the first federal ideas, created the first federal taxation, right. all that sort of thing, which is why the Americans love him. Mm. But what actually happened to him, A, was he was killed in a duel. But even before that, the Republican Party that we talked about was set up by Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. And the Republican Party fought its first campaign on no whiskey taxes. And they won in 1802. And they became the party they are now. Jeez. The madness on the podcast. It's all based on booze then. All based on whiskey. <laughs> but Mark, actually, apart from whiskey, like the, the serious point here that Bill was making the fact that, you know, we're saying that the House Republicans are scared and they're scared by being bullied by this extreme minority. My pillow guy and... <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> Is it not? But do you know what I mean? So how can you trust your representative to do the right thing if he's going to vote against something because he's scared? Well, it's a, it's a really interesting point and there's a bigger point about our understanding of democracy, John. We in civics classes, right, in school, mm. are led to believe that democracy functions and the will of the majority usually dictates things. But in fact, that's not the case at all. There's a very interesting uh, political and economic philosophy, usually espoused by our good friend Nassim Taleb on minority rule, that mm. basically what happens in a democracy, but not just in a democracy, in all situations is... The very vocal and committed minority tend to set the agenda. You talked about kosher orange juice in America. Kosher right? orange, orange juice. juice. Right. So a very small minority of Jewish people are insistent on kosher, right? Not all, small minority, right? right? But they're so insistent on kosher that what has happened is it's easier for manufacturers to make kosher orange juice 
even though they know that 99% yeah. of people who drink the orange juice will not yeah, be couldn't kosher. Couldn't give monkeys. Couldn't yeah. give monkeys about kosher. Yeah, yeah. But they do it because they don't want to upset the tiny vocal minority, right? Yeah. And Talib said that this is what happened, the way politics works as well, is that a tiny vocal minority, in this case, as Bill was saying, only three out of 400-odd House members are yeah. really extreme, but they make up such a fuss that what they do is they set the agenda. Yeah. And the agenda is dragged over to the extremes by the extreme because the people in the middle kind of go along. It's like, yeah, kosher orange juice, does it taste any different to non-kosher? No, I don't mind. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. And that happens all the time. And I think this is where the likes of Twitter has given them an even louder voice. It's amplified their voice. It's amplified their voice. It's given them legitimacy. It's also given them feedback. And it's it's the downside, we will definitely discuss it, yeah. of social media, because that is one of the big well, topics. Well, you swear everyone who uses social media is going around angry, thumping tables and stuff, because that's all you see. And the vast on, majority on, of us just Twitter. trying to get a bit of kip after yeah. a late night. <laughs> Coming down off Red Bull. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Now that I have you, why don't you use the rest of this bleeding lockdown to do something useful and learn economics with me? Sign up on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams, and we learn economics together. We'll do a macroeconomic course, and my God, macroeconomics has never been more relevant. We have tutorials every other week. We have questions and answers. We have reading lists. We have the whole gamut, and we'll really equip you to deal with the world you're living in. And for the rest of January, you're going to be able to get this at a 15% discount on our annual subscription. So again, screw the lockdown. Let's use it properly, use it usefully, and learn economics. Patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Talk to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.